Something that should be important for every, every believer is a faithfulness to Scripture. Something that should be just at, at our core and at the core of who we are as believers is that we would seek to be faithful, faithful to God's Word. If we believe that God's Word is inspired, and if by inspired, what we mean by that, it is that it is given to us from God. That God's Word is from God. If we, if we hold God's Word to be true, then by faith, then by faith we must put into practice the things that we see within Scripture. We must be faithful to the commands that we see unveiled to us within Scripture. If we believe that, that the God who, who created the heavens and the earth with simply, simply a word, that the God who spoke into existence out of nothing. Literally, in, in the beginning of the Bible, as we begin Genesis chapter 1, as the text reads, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That word created, literally in Hebrew, it's two words, ex nihilo. God out of nothing. In the beginning, God out of nothing. The heavens and the earth. And so if we trust and if we believe that the God who, who with the Word can create everything that is simply by speaking it into existence, if we hold that to be true, which prayerfully we do, then surely He can present Scripture to us precisely and exactly the way that He sees fit. And if that's true, which we believe it to be true, then the next step is to take seriously the commands that we find within God's holy word. As we look to the Bible to be our both the, the commands that we see in the Bible in the examples that are set, we choose we choose to choose the one who chose us. I'll give that a second to sink in. We choose to choose the one who has chosen us. We choose to step into the story of God, the story that's unveiled within His Word and that we choose to live by. The story that we choose to live empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, which is going to be our focus next week. But as we choose to live out the story of God empowered by His Holy Spirit, the story that we see Him unveil to us on our journey of faith. And as we look to the Bible to be our guide, and as we seek to be intentional in taking the commands of God seriously, there's one command that we see Jesus speak more than any other. Now, it, it should only take once, right? But there's one command that we see from Jesus more than any other command and it's the command to follow him let me look briefly at three passages from the gospel of mark 
will be on the be on the screen. In Mark chapter one, as we look to the call of the first apostles, as we look to Jesus meeting them where they are, and we, we see this interaction as, as they have an understanding of Jesus, we, we put together what we see in other accounts, and they have an understanding of who Jesus is. And yet as Jesus goes to them and as he calls them to follow him, beginning in verse 16 of Mark 1, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you fishers of mankind. At once they left their nets and they followed him. When he had gone a little bit further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and they followed him. We see Jesus calling these, these four from, from their comfort zones. He, he calls them from their professions. He, even James and John, he calls them to follow him and they leave not only their occupations, not only those that they're working with, with they leave their father. They make the choice that following Jesus is what's important. And they answer this call of Christ, come and follow me. In Mark chapter 2, just the next chapter over, verses 13 and 14, you have Jesus. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. Levi, he got up and he followed him. Mark calls him Levi. We know that he's also known as Matthew. And Matthew, Levi, he's a, he's a tax collector. He, he works for Rome. And, and really, in this role, he exploits not only money for Rome, but he exploits money for himself. And so within this, we see Matthew, Levi, who's called to follow Jesus. And as Jesus calls him, he does. But Matthew, he... He leaves not only his profession, he leaves his corruptness. He leaves his sin. He leaves one way of life for another way of life. As he answers the call, follow me. One more place, Mark chapter 8, just verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him. It's interesting as we look at these at these moments as Jesus is calling others to follow Him, oftentimes He's surrounded by crowds. And yet we see Him being intentional in those that He's, he's calling them to come and to be a part of what He's doing. And here in Mark chapter 8, we have Jesus as He calls the crowd to Him along with His disciples. And He says, if anyone would come after Me, they must deny themselves and sacrifice. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Me. Follow Me. It's the, it's the, the statement from Jesus that we see more than, more than any other statement from Him. And this morning, to consider the, the call, especially when understanding the task of the Christian today is those living this side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. 
Our being faithful in answering the call to follow Him. Let me read this quote from, from Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. It, uh, it, is, a, it is a very matter-of-fact, direct statement from this book, uh, which is in, intentional this morning. Let me just read it the way that Willard's written it. For the last several decades, the churches in the Western world have not made discipleship a condition of being Christian. One is not required to be nor intended to be a disciple in order to become a Christian. And one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress toward or in discipleship. Contemporary American churches in particular do not require following Christ in His example, spirit, and teachings as a condition of membership. So far as the visible Christian institutions of our day are concerned, discipleship is clearly optional. Churches are filled with undiscipled disciples. Most problems in contemporary churches can be explained by the fact that members have not yet decided to follow Jesus. Woo! Talk about an indictment, right? Here's the catch. We read this, and we're thinking 2019. We're like, yes, this is, that's exactly right. Uh, Jason, I've been saying this for years. This tracks, this fits, this is exactly where we're at right now in, in the good old U.S. of A. and Christian churches today, 2019. Yeah, but here's the catch. That was written in 1988. 31 years ago. It was written about the church of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. But are we, are we discipled disciples? And even within the word disciple, the, the root word, there is discipline that is a part of being a disciple disciple. And if honest with ourselves, and if honest with God, are we undiscipled disciples? Have we not yet decided to follow Jesus? And if so, how can we ever, ever make disciples? Which is another command of Jesus. How are we answering the call? How are we answering the command of Jesus to make disciples? And how are we answering the command of Jesus to follow Him? With me so far. This is yes. This is, okay, all right. Here's our key passage today. Just one verse. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Follow my example, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul, he, he speaks to these believers in, in Corinth. He's writing to these Christians that are, that are struggling with how to be faithful in an unfaithful world. How to be Christ-like in a world that's contrary to Christ. How, how are we to live as faithful people? 
and live up to this calling that we have as, as believers today. And Paul, he speaks to them, he writes to them, and he says, he says, follow my example as I follow Christ. Now that's in the, the 84 NIV. Listen to this out of the English Standard Version. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Follow my example. As I follow the example of Christ, be imitators of me. As I am of Christ, follow me. Imitate me. Now these words from the Apostle Paul, these words are not written in arrogance, although I envision that Paul was pretty salty. thought that would be funny. Apparently not. I will not use it in second service. Thank you very much. These words, they're they're not written in arrogance. They're they're written in confidence. Confidence in God. Confidence in what God has done in Christ. And also confidence, not that that Paul is, is perfect before God in and of himself. He recognizes his need for God all along the way. We see it in his writings. Just look at Romans chapter 7. He's confident in God. He's confident in what God has done through Jesus. He's confident in his standing before God because of what God has done through Jesus. Not that he's got it all figured out. I mean, Paul will, in Philippians 3, he'll say, I haven't attained to all this. I don't have all this together. I'm still searching. I'm still striving. I'm still seeking after what God would have of me. But a confidence, a confidence that by the grace of God, He is living a life in which he is seeking to be faithful to God and he is saved by grace through faith because God requires and asks nothing else. But you can't be a disciple. You can't be a disciple if you're not following Jesus. I think Scripture is clear in that regard. If we're not following Jesus. And so following Jesus faithfully, it's of paramount importance in evangelism, in reaching out, in sharing Christ with others. Following Jesus is at the core of our calling others to follow Him as we follow Him. And as we follow the way of Jesus. Let me try to illustrate this. Go, go to the next slide there, Adam. Who here, who here has been hiking? Show of hands. Of course, course you have. Anybody here ever, ever hiked the Colorado Trail? Any, any portion of the Colorado Trail? The Colorado Trail, it crosses the state from Denver to Durango. It's 567 miles long. It's divided into 33 different segments. It passes through six national forests. It crosses five major river systems. It traverses eight of the state's mountain ranges. Now, if you decide that you want to to hike the Colorado Trail, you can just pack up your stuff, go there, enter a trailhead. I mean, it's, it's doable. Even as far as difficulty, the Colorado Trail is considered by the state to be recreational. Kind of funny since we're talking about Colorado, but that aside. <clears throat> it's, it's, not a, it's not a trail that you can't prepare for. 
It's not a trail that you can't navigate or that you can't traverse. You can hike the Colorado Trail. You can hike it by yourself. Go to the next slide there. My friend Josh Kirby was there last week. He hiked sections 11 and 12 over a three-day period. And this is a picture that he took. But if, you were to, if you've never hiked it and you wanted to hike the Colorado Trail, where do you start? I mean, think about it. Where are you going to walk in? Where are you going to walk out? What do you need to pack? What are you going to do with your car? Uber, maybe? I mean, there are a lot of questions. Now, if you wanted to, if you wanted to drive to Durango, no, if you want to drive to Denver tomorrow and, and start the Colorado Trail, you could do it. You could drive there tomorrow, but you'd probably need to find out some information along the way. I don't know. You might get a map. You might go online. You might do a search. You might get a book. You might start reading about the Colorado Trail and, trying to, and try to answer some of the questions that you have. But do you know, the, you know what would be really, really helpful if you were to do that? If you were to have a friend with you that's already been there. If you were to have a guide. Someone to journey with. A trail guide. That's really what evangelism is. That's what reaching out is. Paul says, follow my example. I follow the example of Christ. And in thinking about 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, if you look to chapter 33, uh, verse 33 of chapter 10, just that one verse before, Paul has written, For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. That's evangelism. When you look to the verse right after in chapter 11, verse 2, he says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I have passed them on to you. Take seriously, God says through His servant Paul. Take serious the commands of God. Take serious the call, the command to follow Jesus. Can you, like the Apostle Paul, can you honestly right now say to someone, anyone else, follow me as I follow Christ? And if not, why not? Can you honestly say with where you're at in your life, in your journey, in your faith right now, can you honestly say, Follow me as I follow Christ. Not out of arrogance, but out of, a, out of a, an acknowledgement of what God has done in Jesus and what He's doing through you. Follow me as I follow Christ. Can you say that right now? Would, would those that know you best, well, what would they say about that? Would they say that by your example that you're following Jesus? through your words, through your actions, that you are calling others to journey with you? Or would they say something different? Beyond salvation, evangelism is simply calling others to follow Christ as we follow Christ. Through our words, through our actions, through our lives. Intentional in bringing others relationship with God 
by and through the gospel of Jesus. In humility, evangelism is living the words of the Apostle Paul. Follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Disciples making disciples while following Jesus together. There's a, there's a scene in, in John chapter 12. I don't have the, the words on the screen for you. But there's this scene in John chapter 12 where you have some Greeks among them that are at this, this, this festival to worship. And they come to Philip. And John, in John chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, as, as he's writing this, he says, they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Now that's important. We kind of miss it. But that's important because they are from where he's from. These are those that he has a rapport with simply because of who he is. And they come to Philip, who is from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip then goes to tell Andrew. And then Andrew and Philip, in turn, go to find Jesus. And that's what people are saying to us, whether we realize it or not. We would see Jesus. Show us Jesus. Show us Jesus by how you live. Show us Jesus by how you act. Show us Jesus by the choices that you make. Whether they realize it or not. That's what they're asking. Show us Jesus. Because faith is a witness And discipleship, discipleship is a witness to the world. Some of you may have seen the the emotional testimony of Penn Gillette, uh, Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller. He he records himself. It's about a the the video is about a decade old, decade old. But if if you'll if you'll search Penn Gillette and uh, the gift of a Bible, I think is what what it's under. You'll you'll find it, and you have. Penn Jillette, who is, is talking about, the, I mean, it's, it's this emotional sharing of this encounter with a Christian. And if you know anything about Penn Jillette, then you know that he's an avowed atheist. He talks about how this Christian approached him. And some of the things, some of the ways that he describes this Christian, he says he wasn't defensive. He, he comes up to me after a show and he starts talking to me and he wasn't defensive. He talks about how he looked him in the eye, how he was so very genuine, how it was evident in the things that he said and how he said them, that he believed every word that he spoke. And then he handed him a Bible. He also several times said that the man seemed sane, that he was sane, and I don't know, that kind of Led me to believe that maybe he's encountered some Christians that weren't. But after this emotional response, and not only an emotional response, but he chose to video his initial reaction to this encounter and then put it out there for all to see for, I don't know, all time or until the internet crashes. But after this emotional response to this encounter, Gillette, he makes this analogy Placing, placing himself in, in this man's shoes. He says, if I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck 
is going to hit you and run you down and kill you. If I see that happening and I can, I can stop that from happening, there's going to come a point where I'm going to tackle you. What kind of person would I be if I didn't tackle you? Now, Pendulette, Pendulette is still an atheist. And even though he's yet to believe, there's this exchange or this impact that's made because of this exchange. And I think that's why his response is, number one, emotional. I would show it to you, but it's like seven or eight minutes long. It's emotional, and then also he, he in the moment comes up with this analogy of this truck. If I believe that, that truck's about to hit you, there's going to come a point that I'm going to tackle you to keep that from happening. I think there's also emotion within him because we're all created for God. We all have shaped whole right through the middle of us whether we realize it or not whether we're ready to acknowledge it or not this hole that only God can fill and so who knows what God is going to do with that encounter later on in Penn Gillette's life but there's a distinct difference between the Christian religion and the Christian faith And the litmus test is discipleship. And so think think epic journey. Think adventure. Think think Colorado Trail. 33 different segments of that trail. What if you, in someone's life, what if you're just sections 11 and 12? God, He sees the bigger picture. And for someone who's searching, for someone who's seeking God, God is not going to leave them without provision. For someone who's searching and who's seeking. But what if your section's 11 and 12 for somebody on their journey? Discipled disciples. Disciples who make disciples. Disciples Disciples who follow Jesus. Now we're going to continue these, these thoughts and we're going to bring the series to a close next Sunday as we, as we trust the Holy Spirit to be at work in all of this. But this morning to, to bring to a close our journey today and to acknowledge that maybe you right now on your, on your journey of faith, maybe you're at a criti- critical juncture. And what God desires in order for you to be faithful to the commands of God is to be baptized into Christ. Maybe, maybe you've gotten a little bit lost on your journey. And journeying alongside of other believers or having other believers pray over you could get you right back on the trail. This morning we want to offer a time of response. And if we as your church family can bless you in some way, I pray that you'd give us that opportunity. Come forward as we stand and as David leads us in song.